10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Rwanda, this is the Afternoon Show with Dr. Harine Otieno. Hello, good afternoon. Yes, indeed, it's a Sunday afternoon show on Teachers Talk Radio. And if it is a Sunday afternoon, you are with Africa's old education doctor and education evangelist, Talking Matters Education Africa. So welcome on board to what is going to be a great and lively show. Are you ready? I am ready, and I'm looking forward to having all of you. Live from Rwanda, this is the Afternoon Show with Dr. Harine Otieno on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in and talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Today is a special day. It is Sunday, the 30th of January. We are seeing the end of January coming to an end and you're soon welcoming February. But it's also special because this week is the week that the African continent celebrates African languages. So it's been a whole week of celebration and we are excited that on this show, on the Sunday afternoon show, together with your very own Africa's old education doctor and education evangelist, we will be joining into the celebration by having a special conversation today on African languages as medium of instructions and also what's going on with African languages in our home and that's how is that impacting learning in our classrooms right from the lower level into the higher institutions of learning. So it's going to be an exciting session. I believe you're going to have a great conversation. I can already see that two of my speakers or three of my guests today, two from South Africa and one from Tanzania is already in the house. But I'm going to give us a little bit of time to settle in and to actually be ready for what is going to be a very interesting conversation. So make sure you're sitting in pretty comfortable. You're ready to join in the conversation. I hope you have your headphones so that you can jump in and call in anytime and we'll pick your call so that you jump into the conversation. So please be ready for a real great conversation. And I am going to be introducing, I mean, welcoming you again in a special way in my own mother tongue. So just sit ready for that. But before I do that, I want to ensure that all of us are here. And if you're here, maybe as we wait for the others today, I would like you to say hello in your mother tongue and actually tell me which country you are listening from. So make sure you tell me hello or tell me how are you in your mother tongue that is type it in and then alongside the typing in tell me which country you are listening to us from so i'm waiting for that as i wait also as i prepare also to welcome you so please i i can see that we have ochola in the house ochola feel free to tell us hello in your mother tongue that is type it in and then tell us which country you are joining us in from i can see we have king and we have um we have Zama and of course uh, Rogers is saying hello from Great Britain. So yes, Rogers has just opened the hello conversation. If you're here already, please type in 
hello tell me hello in your mother tongue and tell me which country you are listening to us from so i'm waiting to see a few more people say hello even as more people join us so james Ngugi, you have just joined us please tell me hello in your mother tongue and tell me which country you are listening or tuning in from uh baby z i know that zama zama you want to say hello in your mother tongue and let me know where you are joining us in from so this is an interesting test to check um, to what extent we have stayed uh, close and connected to our mother tongues or to our national languages because that's what the show is about it's about african languages and it's about um um checking whether we are on track and what's going on in our classrooms and our homes so oh oh, oh i can see um we can, I can see Ochola is saying, watch Masani Ngima, and Ochola Jakogeta from Tanzania. So, well, I could actually say that because our, our, our mother tongues are fairly close. Um, I'm trying to read what you have written, Asani Bonani from South Africa. Thank you, Zama, uh, for, for, for saying hello in your mother tongue. So, it is my turn to welcome all of us. I can see that we are actually joining. If you're joining us now, this is a Sunday afternoon show on Teachers Talk Radio. Remember, you can join in the conversation by texting in, by calling in live. But also remember, we have our Twitter handle. You can actually be sharing your reflections and uh, and tagging TT Radio 2022. And of course, do not forget to tag me, Dr. Otieno M. On that is my Twitter handle. Let's have the conversation going on, not just here, but also on the other platforms. African languages as medium of instruction and also conversation in our home. So if you're here, please tell me hello in your mother tongue and tell me which country you're joining us from. So I've seen James Ngugi saying Muriega, and that is his mother tongue. So as James, uh, as the others join in, I can see Danny from um, Rwanda. Please let us know how do you say hello and which country are you joining us from? But let me welcome you, everybody, and I'm going to do that in my mother tongue. So please listen to this. I know you might not understand anything or everything, but well, today we are celebrating our African languages. So how better than to talk in our mother tongue? So this is me welcoming you all in my mother tongue. An ajoga makende kendo jayalo mar puonje enyakalondo mar teachers talk radio makelonu chenro mar dongruok eweche mar jopuonje kod yore puonj mopogre epinje Africa. So that was me telling you thank you very much for joining me on Teacher Stock Radio as Africa's own education doctor and education evangelist. Of course, talking about the fact that Teacher Stock Radio brings us together and the Sunday afternoon show really brings us to have conversation on issues or matters education across Africa. So that was my mother tongue in Kijaluo. So um, that is Luo in from Kenya and their tribes of Luo in East Africa in Sudan. So on that note, I just want to start also with a small poem, which is actually going to be um, an entry point into today's conversation. I got this poem on Twitter. There was a lot of conversation on um, African languages this week, as I said, and I think it is um, linked to bilingual communications and it is titled Mother Tongue. So this is the poem. 
and it was translated in a number of languages. That's what I saw on, on Twitter, but I'm just going to read the English version. So, so the, the poem is titled Mother Tongue, and this is what it says. The beginning was the mother and the child. The first meal was from the mother to the child. And first tongue the child knew was the mother tongue. He who forgets a mother tongue has forgotten the face of their mother. We speak the tongue of the land. Our umbilical cord was buried. We speak the, the tongue of the land, the land where our umbilical cord was buried in. Our mother tongue, in mother tongue is identity. So this poem was written by Emmanuel Akamo. Uh, I got, I picked this poem from Twitter. So really just talking about, uh, I really was caught by that statement that he who forgets a mother tongue has forgotten the face of their mother. And that brings us to the entry of our conversation today, looking back and asking ourselves, what's going on with African languages? What is going on with African languages? What is a state? And uh, again on Twitter, I, got, I saw a tweet by somebody called Mutu Katana, and he actually shared some statistics that he says is from UNESCO. And this is what he says, Sudan leads the list of African countries with the most endangered languages at 65. Cameroon has 36 endangered languages, Nigeria, 29, Chad, 29, Ethiopia, 28, Senegal, Senegal, 15 languages that are endangered, Kenya, 13 languages that are endangered, and Tanzania, I mean, Tanzania, 12 languages, and South Africa has 10 languages that are endangered. So today we want to ask ourselves, if, if our languages are endangered, to what extent is our schooling process contributing to that? But on the other hand, to what extent are we drawing on our, our mother tongue or our African languages to actually support quality teaching and learning? So it's not all gloom and doom. We actually have an army of people working on the issues of promoting African languages or drawing on African languages to support quality teaching and learning, of course, with some challenges. And we want to have a bit of a conversation on that. And I know that some of our speakers are already here. Um, um, and I want to invite um, Ochola and I also want to invite Zama and uh, Mam uh, to actually call in so that I could admit you into um, the seat of the speakers in the first session later in the show will be joined by Cynthia from Nigeria and Caroline from South Africa. But now we have three of our guests. So please call in. I can see Zama is calling in. Welcome on board, Zama. Thank you for calling in and being here right on time. Ochola, may you please call in. Um, Zama, you are now a speaker. Welcome on board. Um, how are you, Zama? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you're loud and clear. I'm waiting for Chola to actually jump in. But this, I think, is mom joining in. And you have to tell me how to pronounce her name. I didn't get it quite well. Welcome on board. Um, thank you. So um, looks like we have another speaker. Who is that that has just called in? Is that Chola? Sorry. Who was just called in? Hello? Hello? Okay, I think somebody has just called us and I'm going to mute him because I can't hear him. So Zama, welcome on board. Um, thank you for joining. Uh, could you confirm, are you together with your mom? 
Yes, I am. Her name is Ntombendle Nkosi. Ntombendle. Did I try? Did I try? I know I didn't get yes. the tongue right. Okay. Hello. Okay. Hello. Hi, mom. Hello. Hi, Ntombendle. Welcome on board. How Thank you, you for coming. Thank you. You tried. You. you tried. But it's easy <laughs> if you just know how to pronounce the Bentley car. You know, it's, it's that sound, Ntombendle. So it's easy. If you know how to pronounce the Bentley car, that's my name. Okay, I will Don't try. Bend. I just want to seek apologies, uh, pass my apologies because I know I will not say say it so well. But that's part of what we are supposed mm -hmm. to be doing: interacting together, mastering each other's languages, and then being proficient in being able to speak out each other's uh, name. So just to mention to the speakers, we are really privileged to have mother and daughter champions and uh, of African languages, and they'll be talking to us about that. I'm waiting for um, Ochola, who I saw come in actually as a first listener today, to join us in from uh, uh, Tanzania. But before we start, I want us to start now that we have the speakers on session and before you actually introduce yourself, we're going to start this show in a very special way. I can see so many of us, uh, uh, many people joining in from Rwanda. We have seen people from Kenya and uh, James from Kenya um, was able to greet us in his mother tongue. And now I want to start the show in a special way. I want us to listen to the anthem of East Africa, which is actually written in Kiswahili as part of our celebration of one of the most popular African languages, Swahili. So let's all sit at our attention and actually start the show by listening to the anthem of East Africa region. <laughs> Africa Mashariki, Tuwezeshe kuishi kwa amani, Tutimize na malengo yetu, Jumuria yetu sote tuhilinde, Tuajibike, tuimarike, Umoja wetu ni muzo yetu, Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A beautiful anthem saying our strength is our unity. And I believe one of the avenues for strengthening our unity is exploiting our languages to enhance connection. And Roger's listening to us from uh, Great Britain says, well, this is, he's en he enjoyed the channel. And then he added to say, well, it is better than God save the queen. Thank you, Rogers, for the compliment. Thank you, everybody, for coming in. You've just come in and you have, we have completed listening to uh, Welcome on Board, Ochola. You're finally in the house. Um, so, um, everybody, we, you just, we are having a very special show as part of the celebration of African Language Week. And so today we're just going to be talking about African languages and listening to some things in our African languages. So I am pleased to have with us two great speakers. Of course, I said we have mother and daughter who are going to talk to us from South Africa. They're doing an amazing job championing the course of indigenous languages at the very early age. And we have Ochola joining us from Tanzania. Tanzania is unique as an African country because it is one of the few countries that actually has uh, at least the first six, eight years of learning fully in their national language, which is Swahili. So Kenya has Swahili as a national language, but we still say our medium of instruction is English. But Tanzania has held on since independence using Kiswahili as a medium of instruction. We want to find out what are the joys of this? What are, what are some of the things they're celebrating as a result? Are they still going to remain on course? Or are there some thoughts around that? And what are some of the challenges, if any? So now, as we know, learning begins right at the foundational stages, right in the home. So before we start and hear what Zama and her mom are doing in South Africa, I'm going to give them a minute to introduce themselves and also um, Charles a minute to introduce himself. So Zama, I'll start with you and mom. Please uh, introduce yourself uh, in, and, and tell us a little bit about your company and the name of your company. Okay. Thank you, Hirin. Um, so my name is Zama Swazimfusi. I am the creative director of Indilang. Indilang basically stands for Indigenous Languages. <clears throat> we are an Indigenous content platform. We produce um, animations, stories, songs, um, teachers' guides, learners' workbooks, all in our local um, Indigenous languages. So our aim basically is to address the need to, um, you know, uh, celebrate our African heritage um, amongst the young ones, and that's in the ECD phase. Um, mm. Then I'll just hand over to my mother. Yes. Hello, it's everyone. a mother-daughter company. Yes. Yes. Uh, can you spell your name? Can you um, pronounce your name again? I would like to call you in your indigenous name. Okay. So my indigenous name is Ot. Okay. So that's my dad's name, but yes, it's Otieno. 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 Yes. Hello, yes. Otieno, and hello, everyone. Uh, I am Tombenche Nkosi, and mm -hmm. uh, Zamaswazi is my only daughter. I've got two sons as well. And oh. uh, the concept of uh, Indilang, actually, it was her passion to see that our indigenous languages are preserved and mm -hmm. the only way to preserve them is to use them uh, early in the 
education system. That is why our focus is on ECD. And uh, our main uh, focus is the animation, animation stories that are positive and that are uh, modern in the sense that the children must identify with the content that we are, we are preparing. At the same time, taking from the experience that the the old people, the elders have on mm -hmm. the culture of mm -hmm. our indigenous languages. As you know, according to the South African Constitution, uh, mm -hmm. we have 12 uh, official languages. Of those 12 official languages, we mm -hmm. have got nine indigenous languages. But the funny part is that is that mm -hmm. the nine indigenous languages are being dominated by English and Africans. So that wow. is the the, wow. the, 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 the issue uh, that we are tackling. Uh, maybe, maybe let me just correct you. It's 11 official languages. The 12th language, which has now uh, got a very... Um, uh, high status, even though it is not official, is the sign language because it was uh -huh. discovered that there are a lot of people who are using a sign language and yet it is not included in the constitution. So that's why I'm talking about the 12 official languages and the, the sign language in quotes as an official language. I will stand, wow. I will stop there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, that introduction and of course reinforcing that if we truly want to ensure that our languages are, are keep being here and of course uh, do not suffer death um, or extinction, then we have to start early. We have to find ways of engaging our young people, our young children uh, in uh uh, in, in activities and with activities that actually endear them towards our languages. So you're saying Indian language basically stands for indigenous languages are looking for ways to celebrate the African language in positive, creative, interesting and fun ways. And we'll be listening to some of your uh, productions in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to jump over to Tanzania and actually um, ask um, ask. Chal, I mean, uh, Ochola, to actually just introduce himself. Ochola, over to you in Tanzania. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tiono. Uh, can you hear me? Very well. We can hear you. And the rest of the uh, speakers uh, today and the lit listeners across Africa. Mm -hmm. My name is Ochola Wayoga. Uh, I'm based in Dar es Salaam. I'm a Tanzanian working with Tanzania Education Network a network of NGOs, civil society NGOs mm -hmm. working in educational space. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm just, I'm, I just, I just want to thank uh, uh, Dr. Otieno uh, to bring us on to share some light moments and information about Tanzania. Mm -hmm. And one of the founding directives of independent Tanzania was that no ethnic group should dominate and, that, and this was made easier by the fact that none of the 129 tribes and sub-tribes wow. exceeds much more than 10% of the country's overall population. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, the government of Tanzania 
us continue to drive to reduce tribal differentiations mm -hmm. by promoting Swahili. So at least in the population of 60 million people mm -hmm. currently, and we are having a census this year, we are about 60 million, but at least 95% of the population can speak, uh, can speak Swahili proficiently. So in Tanzania, the mode of communication, wherever you go, within the Tanzanian mainland and highland, uh, is Kiswahili. And we are proud that Kiswahili is growing across the continent in the, and in East Africa. And, yes. recently, and recently we heard that Kiswahili will be celebrated as one of the commemorations in the United Nations. So I think yes. Kiswahili has made some headway Yes. Over the years, in the past 60 years here in Tanzania, but again, there are issues that need to be addressed as we and speak I, about as we speak about education. Yes, I'll Over come back to you. to you on that. Thank you, uh, uh, Ochola, for talking about that. I just did a quick search on Google, and one of the questions quizzes was what is which is the most popular African language and which is the most easy African language to master. And I didn't know the answer, but when I checked the answer. Well, I was informed by Google that it is Swahili. And I believe the reason why, as you say, the reason why Swahili has been sustained over a period of time and now is actually being adopted by a number of countries, not just East Africa. I remember South Africa recently, if not last year, actually made a very bold step or statement around Swahili with your arm. So I think part of it is because of uh, Tanzania holding very fast to it and actually use it, using it as a medium of instruction. So I'll come back to you and we will dig a little bit into that to find out so what gains internally do you think you have made? But I want to come back to Zama and uh, mom. Uh, please allow me to call you mom. <laughs> and uh, I just want to hear from you, your own reflection. You are working at the very early stages, ECD, and you're trying to, I mean, you're working towards packaging our, uh, I mean, stories and nursery rhymes. What are some of the joys that you see in doing this work? And perhaps what are some of the struggles that you have seen that you are actually looking at overcoming as you continue pushing on? Because I know you are not giving up. Yes. So I'll start and... Um, mm. You know, it, it starts from the way I actually had the challenge in my own home. You know, mm -hmm. I started basically trying to teach uh, my daughter uh, Zulu um, at home. Um, mm -hmm. And when she started entering the schooling system, that's where I actually found that there was a challenge. So all the inroads that I had made in terms of trying to instill the mother tongue in her, they were basically um, really wiped away when she went into the schooling system to the point where, in fact, when I was, um, when she was integrating herself within the class, she struggled. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I continuously got from the teacher was that um, she's struggling to be able to speak. And I'm like, but mm -hmm. at home she speaks well. How can she not speak well in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So that for me was the key thing around um, uh, saying there's a problem then, you know, to the point where they actually even um, suggested that I take my child for speech therapy. Oh, and no. that was a real, real uh, a, a big uh, uh, alarm for me that clearly there's a challenge in the schooling system in terms of um, tr truly trying to um, integrate our indigenous languages from that very early stage. So 
I think we've uh, done quite a number of, of, of research with other um, uh, parents who are actually experiencing the same problem. So it's not the fact that we as parents don't want our children to speak our local languages, but mm -hmm. it's the schooling system that does not, you know, help the process along to be able to allow for proficient use of our languages. Um, so basically from a home situation through to the school situation. So I think that is the main challenge that we are having uh, right now. And for the fact that there hasn't been enough content so mm -hmm. you don't really um, have to struggle to get English content. Children sit on, you know, YouTube platforms and the like, and they're able to basically engage with content that is continuously playing, um, teaching them, you know, concepts of English. But we don't have the same kind of content in Zulu, for instance. In, mm -hmm. in, 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 in Kosa, in Sesutu, you know. So that's where we saw that actually then we need to start creating more content, you know, so that our children um, are able to, to grasp the concept from a very early stage. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's very say. interesting. Yes, please add on. Yes, please add on. Yes. We are talking about the children that... Uh, were, 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 well, I can put it in quote and quote, that were welcome in the former white education system. Mm -hmm. Because you remember, in the past, during the apartheid, there were clear divisions. There were African schools, there were mm -hmm. Indian schools, there were mm -hmm. colored schools, there were white schools. So after 1994, then they, they had to open up these schools. So we were like welcomed into their spaces. So mm -hmm. this is what Zamaswaza is talking about. The, the fact that the children come into an environment where they are not uh, accepted fully. So you will come here and do as we normally do. We're not going to accommodate you. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the, 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 this, this is not uh, found in the township schools, in the rural mm -hmm. schools where mm -hmm. Zulus, Khosas, uh, Sutus are dominant. There, the language is flourishing, even though there have been now even a push in these schools. No, you must teach children English because the English is the medium of instruction. So that is what, uh, that's the scenario in South Africa. But what Zamaswaza is talking about, you would, I also experienced the same thing. My mm -hmm. son, her brother, was actually ridiculed in a school that mm -hmm. he cannot uh, express himself in English because he came in with Isizulu. And I asked the teacher, by the way, can you express yourself in Zulu? She was shocked. Said, yes, I'm also a teacher. If you 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 are condemning a, a, a six-year-old that he cannot express himself in English when he's already very, very uh, proficient in his mother tongue, what are you saying? You know, she was shocked and embarrassed. I said, that's what we're talking about. You cannot 
dictate what a child must do. Whilst you yourself, you are a, a, a monolingual person. He is actually learning his second language. This English is a second language to him. So that is the background that we are facing. But we are saying in Indilang, we are going to make children to be proud of their mother tongue. Of course, learning English as well. And the issue of the medium of instruction, we are going to come to it later because I had done research and mm -hmm. I have made some suggestions how we can use both English and mm -hmm. our mother tongue in a mm -hmm. bilingual model of teaching. Mm -hmm. So we'll Thank come you. back to that. Yeah, we'll definitely come back to that because this is a hot conversation. Now, I can already see Nico John, I believe from Tanzania, posing and saying, you know, while we're trying to promote Swahili in Tanzania politically, but the irony is that the promoters educate their children through the medium of English while they want the majority to be educated using Swahili. How do we balance this? So there's a little bit of hypocrisy here that Nico John is trying to point to, that yes, uh, there could be the face value conversation where we're saying, you know, indigenous languages, you know, African languages, that's the way to go. But behind the scene or in terms of making actual choices, we are, um, we are, um, um, our own children are being educated in English. And, and, and so there's a little bit of a tension there so that English becomes an elitist thing and um, there's a little bit of discrimination when it comes to, um, to, to which language not to use. But I think I, I want to go back to what Zama has said and what, of course, has been suggested also by mom, that there's a sense we started this conversation by looking at a little bit of this, at the statistics and we say a number of our countries have a number of their language is being endangered. And at the top of that list, according to if this tweet uh, with the source from UNESCO is right, is Sudan, for example, and South Africa, they mentioned 10. But you are saying, from what you're saying, and it, what you're saying is that schools may be key contributors in the process of making uh, our languages endangered because you're saying um, there's a sense. And it's nothing new, really. I, I, when I grew up in Kenya, um, we used to have something called a disc, which was a big wooden stick, I mean, like bar of wood in school. And the issue was um, if you spoke mother tongue, you'd have to carry the disc with you. It, sometimes it had a string and it would be put around your neck. So essentially, it's like you're being shamed the whole day. Whenever you have the disc around your nest, neck, it's actually showing that, you know, you're, you didn't speak, I mean, you spoke mother tongue. And sometimes, depending on how many times you had the disc in a week or in a day, you would get punished for it. So we went through that. And so we learned English the hard way. Um, and so... But, but then there's a little bit of attention, and I'm happy that you're saying, look, I've already done some research, and I think it is not an either or. It is supposed to be a complementary mechanism. And, um, and then some, the teachers might push back, and I know there has been this conversation recently. In, again, there was a suggestion, a policy suggestion, that early years uh, should be taught using mother tongue. But then as 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 um as uh, um Ochola said some countries and you have also rightfully said there are so many mother tongues so which one do they use which one do we select to use because again 
some countries a tribal affiliation. There's very strong tribal affiliation. So I want to push a little back. I'll come back to you, back to South Africa, but I want to jump to um, to Ochola. And already there are, there, are, there are questions here coming from Tanzania, uh, fast and furious. Uh, in your case, listening to what um, Zama and Mam is saying from South Africa, what are your reflections as a country that we say has done very well in promoting uh, Swahili as a, as a medium of instruction, do students still have challenges taking into account that you said you have over 100 languages or tribes rather in, in Tanzania? Um, Ochola? And just to mention that our speaker from from Nigeria is now in the house. She's already sitting in her seat. I'll be asking her to introduce herself soon. Ochola, can you hear us from Tanzania? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, pick it up. Thank you very much. It is interesting to note that in Tanzania, all primary school education is taught in Swahili. Mm -hmm. But the other thing in a reflection of the question that I've just seen from Nico, mm -hmm. we, are, we are not naive of the practices being done either by politicians or people who have uh, elevated themselves and are able to acquire private education mm -hmm. elsewhere, either in the country or wherever their children are taken to. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, you know, Swahili has been used as a unifying factor over the mm -hmm. years throughout independence up to, to date. And I think it is in the interest of the country to promote Swahili because it's a unifying factor that has really kept peace in the country. One of the uh, one one of the positive and the credit thing about Swahili, uh, mm -hmm. it has brought peace and it has really reduced the tensions mm -hmm. among tribalism and ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. So having it being used as a medium of instruction, there is nothing bad about it. But I think the overall system of the education is what makes the, uh, the learning to be very difficult because at a tender age of the ECD to the primary level seven, these kids are going through Swahili. Uh, and all of a sudden, they switch gears to English. And I think that is uh -huh. a, a purely a rough landing in mm -hmm. terms of how, because a teacher and a student has to be proficient mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the medium of instruction. And if the teacher and the student does not know that particular language, eventually you would find that the learning process does not take a process uh, to the best interest of the learner. But the other thing that I would want to notice uh, we have seen what is happening in Tanzania, yes. mm -hmm. basically in terms of Swahili, but also we have seen what is happening in terms of indigenous language. Mm -hmm. One of this, last week I read a newspaper, and this is one of the small tribes here in Dar es Salaam, it's called Zaramo. It is, it is, really, uh, it is really getting uh, away, and people cannot really keep that language moving. Finding a Zaramo now is very difficult here in Dar es Salaam because there are the indigenous people in Dar es Salaam, but the language is not spoken because Swahili has taken, uh, has taken over everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the other thing, uh, uh, we're talking about English, and I said it starts from the secondary level, lower secondary level to upper secondary level to university. 
And I think given the statistics of the examinations and the reports uh, and how we are faring in English, how to say, how to say, we are not doing very well because, because English has been a, a barrier, a barrier of learning. And I think there are so many, I, I, I remember there are like three research that were commissioned to, to identify whether a medium of instruction should be Swahili or should be English. But all of these research, three of them, confirmed that it would be better to the interest of this country to train students from lower secondary to university using Swahili. But again, looking across the globe, most of these countries that we say they are to some extent developed, we have uh, the likes of China, the likes of Japan, the likes of Taiwan. They are basically losing their national language. And I think, I think it is high time, as much as we may need English to be part of our communication for business and commerce and for global communication, but I think it is so important for a nation that seeks development uh, to engineer a language that best suits its people in terms of learning. Over to you. I'll come back to you, Charles. Thank you very much. Quite some, quite some uh, insightful. Sorry, not Charles. Ochola. Uh, quite some insightful statements there, and um, uh, quite a sad situation there with the Zarambo language. Because again, there's that sense of how do we ensure all languages are protected. And I want to throw a question to our audience. I'll come back to this. There's a difference between language death and language extinction. So if you're listening and you know the difference, kindly text and let us, I'll come back and see what your statements are. What is the difference between language death and language extinction? And I want to switch gears back to South Africa. Cynthia, sit tight. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to turn back to Nigeria in a bit, but I know that Zama and Mom, um, they may have to leave at some point. So I really want to tap into that thought that you're bringing forth about, you know, this, it's not a, an either or. There's an opportunity to use the two in a complementary way that would not actually create the problems that perhaps Ochola is suggesting. So please, Kindly indulge us in some of the research findings or your research and research findings and your suggestions of how we could still take care of our indigenous languages and perhaps still draw on English as, um, as one of the languages that we use in our instructions. Thank you. I, I would like to uh, take on uh, Ochola's uh, 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 the problem that he has raised where children are exited into English. Mm -hmm. There is a, a theory that talks of the transitional mm -hmm. uh, model and the indigenization model. You mm -hmm. see, when you 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 transit, you you, you make the, the children transit from uh, the indigenous into the the foreign because English is a foreign language. You mm -hmm. see, that's why you create this imbalance. But there is a way in which this can be done. Uh, when I was doing my master's program, I came mm. across a model that was used by a gentleman or a lady, A.A. A. Valencia, uh, in 1981. Mm. Uh, this model starts from the, the ECD, where the English is used as a 
a second language. And then mm -hmm. there is the OLP, the oral language program, where children uh, mm -hmm. he used the language. In this case, it was Spanish. That mm -hmm. was, and then Spanish was used interchangeably right from ECD uh, mm -hmm. between English and uh, Swahili, uh, uh, Spanish. So the mm -hmm. teacher in the ECD phase, when she wants to uh, go to the next to the other language, she will just switch off the light, and then children know now it's, it's Spanish time. Now mm -hmm. it's English time. I like mm -hmm. that uh, 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 model because I had to sit in with the with the with the little ones uh, when they were being taught in this, and it works. What we are seeing now is the 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 dominance of English. You know, mm -hmm. we are told many things that English is the answer, yet children are failing with this English because it is not used at home. It is only used in school. And we're saying that, no, let us uh, pair the two. Let us introduce the two so that children can move in and out of the two languages. This is what we call a bilingual education program. My research was mm -hmm. on trying this model. Not that mm -hmm. it has not been used in South Africa, during the apartheid time, English and Africans were used interchangeably. But now mm -hmm. that we want to use our indigenous languages with this English, which has so much dominance, no, 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 people are using many excuses. Actually, there was a UCT program that was mm -hmm. done by the late uh, Dr. Alexandra, where mm -hmm. they were able to use Isikosa and English. And children were performing very well. So we mm -hmm. are saying, let us use those methods that mm -hmm. have actually succeeded. The transition this transition model, it takes longer. Ask me, I went through that model from mother tongue into English. At form four, I mean, at form, form one, which was a grade eight or nine, and mm -hmm. it was difficult for me. And up to now, I struggle with English, with all that masters, but I still struggle because it is not my mother tongue. And though I was able to pass, but I, I would have passed better if I yeah. was writing in my mother tongue. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. And I think sometimes in the research context, what you have just described is a real, uh, I think what uh, Ochola said is a transition, first of all. How do we, uh, mm. I mean, if we if we just keep with one and then very abruptly move to the next one, then obviously we're creating a challenge to the learners and in sometimes even the teachers, because then most of the times, even the teachers then uh, perhaps are not as deeply proficient in what the students are transitioning in. And what you're talking about is the aspect of, I mean, also in, in education research, sometimes we refer to it as code switching. That indeed there's mm. quite a bit of research talking about the use of code switching. So as teacher can be in class and has the latitude to use the two languages interchangeably. The teacher will be able to design and know at this point, perhaps I can track that the students have not understood what it is that I am explaining in English, or and then I'm going to switch and actually be free. And But what you're saying is part of the challenge is that sometimes when teachers do that, they are penalized. They're penalized yes. for actually 
um, um, not sticking with the medium of instruction. So I think we need to dig as a continent. We, indeed, there's already research there about the value of code switching and how code switching can actually support teaching and learning where we are, uh, we are using a, a medium of instruction, quote unquote, that is a second language. And it's something we need to really look into. And so that we find ways of creating an environment of gradual uh, proficiency development in the second language, in this case, which is English. So it's something we need to think about. Um, but I want to, first of all, read some of the things that you're talking about here. Of course, remember I asked, what's the difference between language death and language uh, extinction? And I can see uh, Ochola has said, uh, uh, language death could be deliberate action to kill a certain language, while extinction when is a transition when... Uh, no transition of that language to the next generation. Great input there. And there's quite a bit of engagement. Uh, Tabo says we need to also get indigenous languages in STEAM subjects. These aren't being translated into African languages fast enough or in the requisite quality. Most Asian European countries have this. Imagine teaching science in Zulu or Sotho using their textbooks and normalizing this in the university and practice employment. Let's promote African languages. Thank you, Thabo. And you will be excited to note that we have Caroline in here, who is actually a professor at the university level and is, and is involved in the translation of um, scientific knowledge in African research. And we also have Cynthia joining us from Nigeria, who runs a program, a maths tutoring program, where she deliberately uses uh, two of the local language. So I think it's a real nice point to ask. I can see that Caroline's mic is unmuted and I'm going to come down to um, uh, over, go to the West Africa to see there. So Caroline, just say hello to the, the team. I know you've just joined us. Hi, good afternoon. Yes, thank you. Thanks. I, it's great to join such a lively discussion. I, I've read the comments and uh, I'm very excited to join. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in at this time. And Cynthia, please say hello to us from Nigeria. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Really happy to be here and join the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know that, uh, Zama, you might have to jump out. And so before you jump out, I want to just uh, indulge everybody for us to listen to some of the nursery rhymes that um, uh, their, their company, IndieLang, is working on. So they, they were kind enough to share two of them. So I'm going to uh, play uh, one of them. Most of us know the English nursery rhyme, Mary had a little lamp, little lamp. Now let's listen to it in one of the African languages and just see how. Swabile, Neona le coñana, coñana. 
konyana konyana ne wona ni konyana e boya bobusweu ya fitla ka sekolong 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 ya fitla ka sekolong ya tsehisa bana misi a itibela tibela tibela misi a itibela ya tswa iswabile ne wona le konyana 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 ne wona le konyana e boya bobusweu Wow, wow, wow. I was nodding all the way and I believe all of us were nodding all the way. And I'm told that is Sesotho. So Thabo who says his family is originally from Lesotho and can speak Sesotho very well. I believe you can easily translate that for us. But we can obviously track what the, the rhyme is about because it is... Um, uh, many of us have sung Mary Had a Little Lamb. So thank you very much. I mean, that's just an example. As they say, that they are, their intention is to make it interesting, to make it positive, and to make it fun. And indeed, any child listening to that would dance away to that. And I believe that's a very interesting way of getting the children to learn that particular language. So we salute you, Zama and Mam, for all the work that you're doing. And of course, what this is just the beginning of this conversation. I believe we are going to have more conversations on this because as somebody said it is up to us to uh you know preserve our language uh, and and somebody here is saying language is part of our culture so as we read in that particular poem that we started with if you forget your mother tongue it's like forgetting your mother's face real tough conversations here that we need to think about but i think what's exciting is that we are not sitting in our laurels and just mourning and saying, oh, something, things are going on wrong with the African language. You know, there is um, death and extinction, but we are actually stepping out to do something. And the more we collaborate and talk to each other like we're doing today, I believe we'll actually be able to save the situation. So I wanted this point to, um, to also now just bring on board uh, Cynthia and Caroline in this conversation. So Cynthia, I'd like you to perhaps introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about um, the entity that you work with and especially what you do around African languages and mathematics. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Um, basically, um, I'll just give a little background of what made me even start teaching um, maths in different languages because to be very honest with you, um, all through my learning in Nigeria for my nursery, primary, secondary, and even university, the language of instruction had always been English language. And um, just like with, with um, someone earlier on spoke about um, how other languages happen to be, um, how English happens to be the foreign language, in, in Nigeria, um, I'll say most of the learning is being done in English language and somehow it's it's kind of illegal or how do I put it, it's kind of not accepted for schools or teachers to just teach in other languages because it hasn't been permitted by the government. I'll go into that later on. So what really led me to teaching maths in other languages was I was working on a project to teach the in, the kids in the juvenile home at um, the Potaka Truman home. 
And on getting there, by the time we're giving out our pre-project questionnaires, we found out that the students couldn't even fill the questionnaires in English. They couldn't even interpret it. And by the time we had conversations with them, we found out that they were students from different parts of Nigeria. And let me say this, as much as Nigeria has four major uh, regional areas, which is the north, south, east, and west, we have over 100 languages in Nigeria. Although there are like four main languages, but there are lots of sub-languages in Nigeria. So the children at this Port remand home at that time, which was in 2016, there were about 40 of them. And we found out that they were from about nine different states speaking nine different languages. But there was a language that's indigenous that was common to them, which is the Nigerian Pidgin English language. Mm -hmm. So because that was a language that was common to all those students, I had to change my language of instruction to that language because I already knew that if I teach with the proper English language, they will not understand. Therefore, communication will not be effective. And then I would have just wasted my time. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back to the drawing board, remodel my project and come up with not just an outline, but also examples and mm -hmm. scenarios that portray the Nigerian Pidgin English language. Mm -hmm. So for me, that made me do a whole lot of research because mm -hmm. I wanted to teach them effectively. And from the pre-test that these students took, they took a pre-math test as well. By the time we were done with the first three months of teaching them, they had improved by over 80%. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I started looking into from um, 2016. And then moving forward, I started looking into teaching with other Nigerian languages. Mm -hmm. And I started with the language I, I know, which is Igbo language. That's my mother tongue. And, you know, from then on, I've also looked into teaching with um, other languages and having collaborations with people who speak other languages um, fluently. So that's actually how I started. And then I started um, sending videos out in English, in Pidgin, in um, Igbo language. Those videos were videos where I would teach maths. And I had mm -hmm. people come back to me to tell me they understood it better. Because mm -hmm. the truth is, for example, I'm Igbo. There are some, I'm sure it's going to be the same for most of us here. There are some proverbs or adages or something. There are some things, sayings in your, in your um, let's say in your village or in your dialect, that if you try to translate to English language, it's not going to be translated the same way. Yes. You just feel like, oh, this is not as sweet as if you knew my language and I had to say it in my language. Mm -hmm. That's really the same way for for teaching because if you're using English language, which is not a language that the child has been used to for a major part of their life, it's not a language they've, they've been brought up with. If you're using that language to communicate with them, it's not going to really be effective. So one thing, one thing I, I also like to say about using languages to teach is, using Nigeria as an example, there are different classes of people. There are people who have lived in the city all their life who do not even know their mother tongue as well. Mm -hmm. And there are people who live in the indigenous areas who have always grown up uh, with their mother tongue. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I my ad my what I usually advocate for is not just for everyone to learn using their mother tongue. It's for those it to be more effective. Um, the group of people that will find it more effective. For example, mm-hmm. people in the indigenous areas, or mm-hmm. for example, the students um, I spoke about that I started teaching in indigenous mm-hmm. language. Great, 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 great insight there. And, um, uh, and and I think that's part of the challenge sometimes we have in policy making in Africa. I think the complexity that we are so many nations in one nation. We are so many, for example, languages in one nation. And so when we say mother tongue, I know, for example, Kenya and Gugi is in, uh, Gugi might still be here. Kenya had a new uh, policy that said the first three years, uh, students need to be taught in mother tongue. And there was an uproar, and I think that was also a conversation in Nigeria because I was just looking at an article that said that in around 20, I mean, uh, uh, there's been, there's some articles that suggest that in around 2017, your Minister for Science and Technology, I think it was, by then it was Dr. Onu, had suggested that the government was making plans to teach science, technology, engineering, and mathematics in indigenous languages from primary to secondary school students. And just reading one of the articles, uh, the interministerial committee that was put to look into that, there were questions about how will this happen given that Nigeria is a diverse nation with over 250 ethnic groups. And in one classroom, therefore, even if you talk about the four main or the three main uh, languages like Igbo, Yoruba, and Hausa, in one classroom, you might have students from all these tribes. So I think one of the challenges we have as a continent, uh, especially when it comes to policy making, is how do we make policies that take into account the fact that we are normally nations within nations? How do we take into account that? And I think um, Ochola tried to suggest that the reason why it has worked out for Tanzania is because Swahili was promoted across the different um, across the different uh, tribes. And so somehow the uptake has uh, been enhanced. But of course, as he says, now it is also to the detriment of some of the languages, indigenous languages. So it's a very tricky situation. And I'll come back to you, um, Cynthia, and as you have rightfully said, therefore, we need to differentiate. We really need to be make sure we don't um, make one size fit all policy. But just before I leave you, um, um, uh, Cynthia, there's somebody, Tabo is saying, but where does Nigerian pidgin English really come from? And maybe as you answer that, you can speak in pidgin English so that we see if Tabo will be able to follow because he says he knows it from watching Mr. Ibu and other African magic shows. So what's the origin, <laughs> Cynthia? Okay, okay. So the Nigerian pidgin English is like the informal English language. Um, mm-hmm. Or will I say the English language formed by, let's say, the local, indigenous, uneducated people, kind of. You know, that's just one way of putting it. Now, it's just like in proper English language, if you want to ask someone, how are you? In the Mm -hmm. Pidgin English, Mm -hmm. you say, how you day? (laughs) So it's similar, yes, how you day. Or you can even say, how far? You know, how far in proper English means what's the distance? <laughs> in the pidgin English, it actually means how are you? So if, if a Nigerian says to you, how far? Don't think about distance. Just know the person is using the pidgin English to find out how you are. So that's okay. how a lot of the communication, it's, it, it, it's similar to English, to the proper English language, but there are some 
slight changes. Okay, I'll come back to that, Cynthia. And uh, Carolyn, I'm just coming back to you. But before we do that, let's take some break and listen to the weekend news. And... This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A report in The Independent makes it clear that Ofqual's chief regulator believes that changes to the 2022 examinations will not advantage more able pupils. As a result of the disruption caused by the pandemic, pupils in England and those students sitting GCSE from English exam boards will be offered a choice of topics in some GCSE exams. In a speech to the Sixth Form Colleges Association conference earlier in January, Chief Regulator Joe Saxton said the release of advanced information on the kinds of topics pupils will see in their exams would not advantage higher ability pupils. This advanced information is due on February the 7th and is being released to help students focus their revision to answer questions carrying more marks. It will not be provided for simpler one or two mark questions. 
In a statement, Ms Saxton said that she hoped that the advance information will mean students who suffered the most disruption or those who are less able may gain confidence to tackle elements of the paper that they might not previously had the confidence to try. In response to the comments, Jeff Barton, General Secretary of ASCOL, said, Many school leaders will have legitimate concerns about how the advance information about exam content has been put together and how helpful it is likely to be to their students. Radio 1 presenter Vic Hope has returned to a former school in Newcastle to open its new wellbeing centre. In a report on the ITV News website, it is described how Ms Hope opened the centre at Dame Allen's in Fenham by stating, it's been important to me in my work to raise awareness, destigmatize, and signpost resources dedicated to nurturing the psychological and emotional well-being of our young people. And I am so proud that the Dame Allens is clearly doing this work so well too. Ms Hope is a human rights activist and Amnesty International ambassador, and has spoken candidly about mental health in the past. The Snug at Dame Allens offers counseling, psychotherapy, and special educational needs support and provides a dedicated place where students feel safe, heard and understood. With mental health and well-being now a key focus for many schools, Ms Hope praised the efforts made by schools to support pupils in this way. The news website Monitor reports on lessons the continent of Africa can learn about investing in education. It states that the universal lesson is that countries can no longer ignore the unprecedented learning crisis facing the continent. The pandemic has revealed what the article describes as alarming inequalities in accessing inclusive and quality education. The issue was discussed by leaders at the Global Education Summit, co-hosted by Kenya and the UK in London last week. The continent is facing some harsh realities and the summit launched a drive to increase national budget allocations for education, with greater emphasis on improving learning outcomes. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. So yes, this is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboards, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your class's whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on, 
The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so we are back. Uh, for, uh, we are back. I think there are quite some hints there about things that we could be thinking about. For example, uh, what's the experience, for example? What's the different experience when you're teaching remotely and you have to use... Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, for example, English as a medium of instruction or should we lean more towards uh, uh, having an, a, a more prominent of our African languages when you're using the radio programs that we've used, for example, or any remote teaching. I think there's quite some conversation that needs to happen there because when you think about students learning at home, the people that are supposed to support that learning perhaps are the parents back at home. And there's quite a bit that we could dig into that, just picking up from some of those items that have been highlighted on whether it's examination. If, for example, we are talking about exams and we're talking about um, students um, English not being the, the main language. What are some of um, the care that we need to have in the way we present questions in those papers? I think Ochola talked about students not doing very well in exams, partly because of the language that is being used. And one of the things I observed when I was doing my research, for example, looking at GCSE papers, I realized that, for example, when you're talking about mathematics, they would actually ensure that the sentences are very short um, there are no sentences that uh, perhaps are on the same, starting on the same line. But when you look, come back home and you look at the way sometimes we present our questions, we present the questions like a whole paragraph. And this student not being very comfortable with English, uh, there's a lot of cognitive interruption, just trying to get sense of the words all lumped up together. So I think when we start thinking about the issues of promoting African language or knowing the limitations that come with using a second language as medium of instruction, there's quite a bit that we can dig into in the way we approach different aspects of teaching, learning, and assessment. But on that note, I want to bring Caroline into the conversation. Caroline is teaching at the far end, that is the university level. And just somebody asked about, you know, STEM and, um, and indigenous language. And of course, uh, Cynthia has given us a tip, uh, a peek into what she's doing and, this, and what success she's getting from there. So Caroline, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing in terms of indigenous language and scientific uh, knowledge. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm based um, at the University of the Western Cape in Cape Town, so the southern westernmost tip of Africa. And um, so I work in the South African context, which is a, a very interesting context mm -hmm. uh, because of its history, but also as a country, it has 11 national languages, um, of which nine are indigenous African languages. And then there's English and Afrikaans, which is a... Um, a mix of all Dutch mixed with some African languages and some English and some, so it's a sort of a general mix uh, language. But there's only English and Afrikaans have a, a fully developed um, scientific vocabulary, if you will. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, my background is in astronomy. So I, I study the science of the stars, the galaxies and the universe. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm absolutely not a linguist. But we've mm -hmm. developed something um, that I thought should be shared with everyone. We want mm -hmm. South Africa is, is host, uh, along with eight other partner countries in Africa, of mm -hmm. uh, the Square Kilometer Array Telescope, which is a, it is basically a, um, the biggest scientific instrument on Earth, because mm -hmm. it's basically going to turn the whole of the continent of Africa, from South Africa all the way to Ghana, into a telescope that will look into space. So mm -hmm. it's really an inspiring project, and it's here, mm -hmm. and and we need young scientists, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a need to inspire young Africans to come and be part of this incredible adventure of science that's happening in Africa, on African soil. So we, mm -hmm. we really don't want this to be another sort of um, European or Western project coming mm -hmm. and taking data from Africa and carrying it uh, away somewhere else. Say so that again. First, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the first thing is to make this available, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was just simply doing um, a sort of a careers information leaflet, mm -hmm. thinking that this would not be too difficult to translate because there are not that many technical words. Sure, there's astronomer, there's telescope, there's planetarium mm -hmm. and so on. But I thought that would be okay, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I was very naive. Very quickly, I realized that there are, no, there are no words for those terms in the African languages, and often mm -hmm. the English term is easily co-opted. But mm -hmm. the thing is, with the, the, the scientific language that we have in English and sort of the international scientific language, is that the, the, the scientific words we have carry the legacy of their discovery in them, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So they carry, they carry meaning of how they came about. And mm -hmm. it would be completely dishonest to say anything that other than modern science is the fruit of a very colonial past. Mm -hmm. And so carrying that meaning in those words and trying to force them down young people, I, you know, it's, it sort of feels a bit unfair. Mm -hmm. So I, I was put in touch with uh, expert linguists at my university. And we, and we started a project where we would work together to try to develop a properly, you know, indigenous scientific uh, language in in this wow. case Isiklosa, mm -hmm. um, and so it was a it was a, a, an incredible project where mm -hmm. we we hit upon you know a, a barrier upon barrier upon barrier. How do you say this? How do you say that? But we came up with a few you know with a few good ideas of how we could sort of make sure that the that the science doesn't is not imposed but emerges. Mm -hmm naturally mm -hmm. from the language. So mm -hmm. I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. For astronomer, who is, you know, the scientist who looks at the night sky and, um, mm -hmm. and tries to figure out what's going on, there was no word for that. However, mm -hmm. um, we realized that there is a word for weather forecaster because there's weather forecasts every evening on TV. Mm -hmm. And so if we took the word for weather forecaster and stretched its meaning to mean scientist of the sky, then that could naturally encompass astronomer mm -hmm. and so that was that was one way of sort of you know making sure that that words that are in common use that their meaning can just be a little bit extended to include encompass you know the cutting edge modern science and mm -hmm. um, another thing that that we found is that we have to be very careful with words that 
have been adopted already and have a meaning. So, for example, one of the things that we say is that science is data driven. Um, mm -hmm. Scientific discoveries are made based on large pools of data and data is analyzed, data, 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 data. However, in a lot of the of the rule settings and in the in the um, in the in the townships in South Africa and, and basically everywhere you go, data is what you buy for your cell phone to access the internet. <laughs> yes. So it's it's a very different meaning. So we mm -hmm. couldn't just use the word data, even if the word data exists and has been mm -hmm. completely adopted in the African languages. We can't go and say, "Oh, this is data," because it means something else, and it would be um, it would be overriding a meaning that has organically emerged from the communities. So mm -hmm. instead, we decided to use the word for information instead of data. And it works very well. So it's an information-heavy science. And that mm -hmm. makes sense, right? So, so mm -hmm. you know, ways of trying to, to, to humbly integrate in the way the language is already used. And mm -hmm. another thing that we found out, which is absolutely incredible, is that our, uh, our wonderful linguist colleagues have a lot of conversations happen with the elders in the communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as we know, there is an incredible body of indigenous knowledge mm -hmm. that is not being integrated um, in, you know, in the modern society, especially in, say, sciences like astronomy mm -hmm. or whatever. Those, those, those um, incredible pools of deep knowledge of the sky are, um, are just regarded a bit like a like a historical anecdote and it's sort of it's a cultural thing but it's different from the science and mm -hmm. and, and that also creates a divide so instead of instead of trying instead of of leaving this divide we we decided to proactively seek mm -hmm. indigenous knowledge that we could integrate and turn into the vocabulary for modern science in the african language and it was it was an absolutely incredible experience. So I can I can give you one example. Mm -hmm. um, are you aware of the of the constellation of the Pleiades? It's the group of seven stars that you can see in the night sky. It's a, it's a fairly small group of seven stars, quite uh, quite close. It's mm -hmm. a very I don't know what it's called in other places in Africa. The sort of European name for it is the Pleiades. And uh, the Pleiades is what we call in science, we call it an open cluster. It's stars that are born of the same cloud, if you will. So they're sort of linked with gravity, but they're now, they're now expanding and they're sort of escaping that. And, um, and so the scientific term for it is open cluster because it's a cluster, but it's open because they're escaping. Or whatever. But it's, it's not a very good term, but it's just the accepted term. Now... The Pleiades is an example of open cluster. There are, there are many that you can see with telescopes and things, but this one you can see with the, with the naked eye. And mm -hmm. so obviously it has, because it's such a special thing in the sky, and ancestors were incredible observers of the sky. They used it to measure time. They used it to measure season, to mark the harvest, and so on and so on. So the sky is always, there's a lot of indigenous astronomical knowledge. And in particular, mm -hmm. for this object in the sky, there's a name in Isikosa, and it's Isilemela. And mm -hmm. Isilemela just it is the name of this object. So instead of trying to create something that means open cluster, 
in an African language, why don't we just use Isilemela to describe all open clusters? Because it's such a beautiful word, it's an indigenous word, it has a lot of history, it has a lot of meaning. And so, so we've tried to really incorporate indigenous knowledge in modern scientific, um, scientific uh, um, African languages. So that was sort of the first phase of the project. And we learned so much from that. And, I'm going to come back to you, Caroline, on yes. that. Um, <laughs> I just want to throw something that one of the listeners has said so that you perhaps your, your, your next statement takes that into account, perhaps to try yes. and respond to that. And then I'm going to go around for everybody perhaps to give their own argument on this. Because I think this is one of the things that is really driving uh, what's going on in our schools. A lot of conversation now is market driven. You know, we're going yes. to school to get jobs. I mean, I think it has even overridden going to school to learn. And, yes. and so Nico is rightly, rightfully asking that, okay, even as we think about indigenous languages and trying to get them back into the context of schooling, and I really like the illustrations you're making because what you're saying is that science can really be presented in a way that it is distant from us. And some of it is also corrupted um, information, I must say, um, when I was doing my PhD towards the last end, I just, I mean, I bumped, I mean, and it almost threw me off because coming across literature that really helped me to look, for example, at the history of mathematics and mm -hmm. the way that you presented, you know, we only know a lot of mathematicians from the far West, only to dig into the history and actually find that path. Actually, the origin of that may not have been the countries that we associate with that. But anyway, as you say, that's the, that's the dominant presentation. And now we are, it's like we're going back to say, but how else can we communicate this? But then Nico is asking a, a question here that um, I want all of us to jump into as we respond, as we go towards a close. And I think we must have a second conversation on this. But Nico is saying, okay, so what's our argument? Why do we want to promote indigenous languages, for example, and especially use indigenous languages as, as, as a medium for instruction, whether it's at the lower level or at the middle level where uh, Cynthia is or at university? Because he's saying, do we want to do so just for the sake um, to make our graduates more competent in the subject matter of the subjects and hence get employment? So the employment thing keeps coming back and it's something we cannot run away. And his argument John says that if our focus is to make our learners or graduates navigate their ways in the labor market, then what matters is the language that is, be, that is needed by the market. And he says, in Tanzania, the language that is needed by the market is not Swahili, but English. That's why um, the shots, I think the big people have given English a higher priority. So um, as you talk about the second part, could you try to talk about the second part, thinking about this question? Why are you doing all this? Are we doing all this just because, of course, we want, and this is right, to preserve our languages? Does it in any way uh, go against the, um, the conversation around employment? And, or is it actually that uh, it could actually position us better to create more jobs or to get us more of our young people into employment if that is the ultimate uh, reason why our kids are in school. So I wanted to make that comment. I'll come back to Cynthia and I'll want um, uh, Ochola to also comment on this, especially given that the person is using Tanzania as a contact. And then also, of course, Zama, if they're still in the house, what do you think about this as you're engaging at that lower level? So Caroline, you start off. 
<laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a brilliant question. It's hugely relevant. Um, in fact, you know, our, our learners, when they go to school, they are, you know, they're pushed by their families to go into careers that mm -hmm. give them financial security, that uplift the families, that support mm -hmm. the younger siblings to go to school as well, and so on and so on. So the pressure to find a job is huge. Now, mm -hmm. there are very viable careers in science. And, mm -hmm. and being a science or, or technology graduate opens doors to you know, great career prospects. Um, mm -hmm. and, but the thing is, if you, if you are not aware of them, if you can't talk about them, how mm -hmm. will you, for example, share your passion for science with mm -hmm. your grandmother who's bringing you up, who only knows of, I don't know, lawyer or doctor how can mm -hmm. you say no but i want to be an engineer or i want to be a software developer or i want to be a scientist how can you how can you convey that if there is no words to talk about it um i think it's it would be unfair to not give the opportunity to be able to speak about those possibilities and those careers but also it's um I, you used i heard the word earlier in the conversation of a transition Right. Mm -hmm. So we are talking about, so in the South African context, you will be taught in your mother tongue until um, I think about grade four, that's when you start doing science and mathematics in English. But for most of the learners in South Africa in grade four, the Eng your English is not good enough. Mm -hmm. There's also a huge gap in opportunity across racial lines in South Africa due to its history. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the, at the general population, um, 80% roughly of the population is black and the 20% is other, right, white, Indian, colored, whatever mm -hmm. different classifications. And these classifications are still used um, in, the, in the national census to, you know, to study the population, to get statistics and so on. And it turns out that the non-black kids, over 90% of them, speak either English or Afrikaans as a first language, which means that by grade four or five, when they start transitioning into English as a medium instruction for mathematics and science, they mm. are comfortable. But only 4%, four and a half percent of the black kids have English or Afrikaans as a first language, which means that by grade four or five, when they start learning uh, mathematics and science in, in English or Afrikaans, they're learning it in their second or even third language. And that is an incredible um, divide, a barrier to access, an incredible mm -hmm. unfairness in the system that we, we, have, to, we have to address. So Caroline, I'm about, going to come yes. back to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. you, you're actually hitting the points home. There's actually, I think uh, we are deluded by the fact that you, by I mean, if we are taught in English, that means we are learning English and that means we are learning. Uh, and I think that's what you are also uh, pointing to. And, and I can see Thabo has actually uh, also jumped into that conversation and I'll be reading that out. But just because we are kind of running out of time, I just want to give another round to all of us to perhaps use this as a close, uh, as, as, as a thought about is it that if we talk about indigenous languages, uh, Cynthia, you know, you are people you have been talking in Pidgin, English or Igbo. Are you by chance uh, um, slowing down their opportunities for employment or are you actually positioning them to actually be able to compete equally as, as Caroline is talking about if when, when you actually taught them? Um, in those uh, in the local language, and and I want you to answer in like one and a half minutes. Sorry. Okay. Uh, basically, 
the key here should be helping them understand what they are learning. I think mm -hmm. they'll be in a better position to gain more employment and more credibility out there if they really know what they are doing. And also, uh, we're not advocating for them to know the proper English language. They should know it because they'll need it for job and the workplace and all of that. But I'll give an example. Look at the Chinese people. We have lots of them working in different parts of the world, even without even knowing how to speak the language. But because they have this skill, they still let them do the job or maybe get them an interpreter. So for us in Africa, um, our focus should be using the best medium, best language to help our students fully understand um what they are being taught, whether in science, in technology, engineering, or maths, and in the same way, help them to learn English as an additional language. Okay, but yes. Well put, Cynthia, I want to yes. uh, get everybody. So I'm going to jump to Zama, and then uh, if you're still in the house, then I'll, I'll, I'll have um, uh, Ochola share, share his thoughts. So uh, Zama, between you and Mam, I'm going to give you one and a half minutes. What's your thought? Are you, by uh, working towards getting our children to, you know, get back to indigenous languages, are you by any chance slowing them down in this 21st yeah. century? Not at all. In fact, mm -hmm. if you read some developmental milestones, mm -hmm. one of the key things around multilingual, bilingual children is that they are smarter. They are problem solvers. They have creative and flexible thinking skills. So the benefits of actually integrating, you know, uh, our mother tongues at an early stage are, are, are actually quite great. And for me personally, for instance, um, in the space that I'm, I'm working in, in the animation space, it's actually opening up new avenues, you know, to mm -hmm. be able to teach, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now we're looking at programming. Programming is a big thing. Now, can you imagine us integrating our, 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 our indigenous languages and, and, and incorporating the whole programming language thing? It's going mm -hmm. to actually grow a new um, sector in terms of um, job opportunities. And not only that, as I had uh, alluded to you um, earlier, Mm -hmm. History will repeat itself if we mm -hmm. don't do something about it now. And mm -hmm. the whole concept of, you know, African heritage, if we forget where we've come from, we stand the chance of making the same mistakes over and over again. Because at mm -hmm. the core of these languages is identity, is mm -hmm. African identity. Now mm -hmm. that is what we are trying to address. We must not forget who we are because the whole aspect of the inferiority complex that comes with us assuming an identity which does not belong to us, you mm -hmm. can see it actually Im impacts on the work uh, space. You know, mm -hmm. employment <laughs> gets affected. You see, even in South Africa, we are having issues with transformation, diversity issues. And at the core is the fact that we don't know who we are as Africans and we don't celebrate ourselves. And as I said before, if we don't value the things that we have, we will lose them. And history will definitely repeat itself. History will repeat itself. I want to jump to Tanzania, uh, Charles. Um, and, and thank you, everybody, for the great engagement that is also going on on text. I can see the answers are coming in fast and furious. And uh, Charles, what? It's not Charles. Um, Ochola, Ochola. What would you, Ochola, what would you say? Uh, just thinking about uh, 
is it the would you say that because you have used Swahili for a long time that this has slowed you down economically in one minute as a country? Uh, what I would just comment on that is Africa is not uh, a small continent any anymore. And what has worked and what has not worked, we can we can definitely understand. Uh, in terms of uh, a language of learning, a person needs to be proficient, and any language can be used for learning as long as someone is proficient. When we talk about the market, you know, these markets are so superficial. And for instance, in Tanzania, let's say the market demands English. But how many people in, in Tanzania are able to speak English proficiently? But I understand most of the employees, most of the customers, most of the stakeholders are speaking, are speaking, are speaking Swahili as a mode of conversation to transact business. So what I'm saying is as much as the teacher and the learner is proficient in the medium of instruction, that is the language that we need to pursue. And here in Tanzania, I think we have struck a balance. We have Swahili. But I know it is only this educational system whereby when they transit, they get to learn English as a medium of instruction. And that has not been very, very productive. I think they need to have, a, we need to strike a balance in both languages as we have been doing so. But if I would have to say something that which particular language uh, we should promote in terms of develop, uh, development, I would still consider Swahili because it has worked and it is going to work. And I think we need to be proud of what we are. We need to, we need to really pass this down. Because we, know, we need also to remember that these countries have gone long away in terms of historical makeup, colonialism. And I mm -hmm. think that is, the, that is where we got it wrong. The moment these countries got independence, we thought it is, well, we need to live like Europeans, we need to live like Asians, we need to live like all colonialists and French. But again, at this particular moment, we are speaking, we are talking about language as a medium of instruction. We need to think back, what is working better? Looking at the developed countries, they have used their own languages and it has worked. Um, considering people like uh, Russia, a person like P uh, President Putin, you never hear him speaking in English. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know English. But that country has progressed to using their own language. Places like uh, Finland, they're using Finnish. And they have grown up. Norway, using their own language. And I think a language has a very, very key factor in terms of development. And we need to think back and see what works better for Africa. Great, Over to you. great. Over to me. Uh, thank you very much. We definitely are seven minutes over time. I just want to echo what Nico has said. And uh, Nico, I think uh, you have, I mean, you've got some response there. We have examples, the Asian countries like Tabo says, the South Koreans, um, the Japanese, all these Asian countries. They are actually, right now, China is like uh, almost driving a lot of things in Africa, but China has actually developed using their own language. So indeed, we need to really fight this concept that makes us think that it's only when we speak foreign languages that we can actually position ourselves for jobs, but also to also think that we can't do both. As Zama uh, was saying, we should be able to train our children to be able to still master their mother tongue 
while in the process getting proficient in the other languages. And to the extent that, as Cynthia said, to the extent that students, um, the children can learn best in a specific indigenous language, we need to create an environment at least that allows code switching, as was suggested earlier. So I think it's been a great show. And indeed, as Nico says, um, it's been a great session that provides a forum for Africans to discuss about education, and in this case, language instruction in particular. We will definitely have more sessions every Sunday afternoon. If you tune in on Teacher's Talk Radio, you'll find your very own Africa's education doctor and education evangelist, that's myself, and we'll be having such conversations. Indeed, we have just cracked the surface and I look for season two of this conversation and more things are coming up. So thank you very much. Perhaps like we started, we need to end with a national, with an anthem. And I think because Ah, uh, we are, I mean, the host is sitting right at the heart of Kigali. I mean, in East Africa, the land of a thousand hills, I'm going to ask us once again to sit tight and listen to the East African National Anthem as we come to a close. <laughs> Tuwezeshe kuishi kwa amani Tutimize na malengo yetu Jumuria yetu sote tulilinde Tuajibike, tuimarike Umoja wetu ni muzo yetu Idumu jumuria yetu Shikamano, viwe msingi kwa umoja wetu Na tuline uhuru na amani Mila zetu na nesuri zetu Chumbulia yetu sote tulilinde Tuajibike, tuimarike That is my language saying thank you very much. This is the end of the show. Let's meet again and indeed let's collaborate beyond these conversations. I'll be reaching out to some of you and there is more coming from um, our desk on Sunday afternoon. This is your very own doctor. Um, this is Africa's own education doctor and education evangelist. My name is Dr. Herino Tienomenya. It's been a pleasure having you on Teacher's Talk Radio Sunday afternoon show. Over and out. Let's pick up this conversation next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.